Good morning. This morning's scripture reading is in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, if you'd like to follow along. And it says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reading and the hearing of your word. Lord, we thank you for Chad reading the scriptures for us. God, we thank you for Chris and the band just enthusiastically taking us to your throne room, God, where we can worship you and praise you in the midst of our storm. God, in the midst of what's going on in our world and in the midst of our lives and our family and our community, God, we, we just praise you because you're on your throne and you're not worried about anything. Praise God. And so, Lord, we thank you for the Lord Jesus, the victorious Son of Man, who came to this earth and died on the cross for every sinner who would put their faith and trust in Him. Thank you that He is risen from the dead and that we have hope of eternal life this morning. That when we die, we will never be more alive than we will in that moment. God, thank you for the living hope that Jesus Christ gives us. Thank you. And now, God, as we go into your word, Holy Spirit, we are asking you to illuminate the scriptures for us. Um, in, a, in a pretty hard passage on marriage, God, would you use your word <coughs> to restore marriages? To revive the hearts of husbands and wives for one another? Lord, to, to help people who have been divorced find healing at the foot of the cross? For people who are single and hoping to be married, God, would you work in their hearts and lead them into this text and help them see with eyes of faith? And God, for even our youth here who hope to be married someday, God, would you give them a vision of marriage that is beautiful? And God, for those who are in the middle of a slog and trial in, in marriage, God, would you be so gracious to redeem and restore and bring marriages to complete healing in Jesus Christ. Lord, we need that in our society. We need it in our lives. We need it in our church. And we pray that you would bless this word in a special way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning and, and welcome to church. My name is Josh. If you're with us for the first time, just want to say good morning and welcome. Uh, we're happy that you guys are here. So 1 Peter chapter 3 is where we're going to be this morning. 
And this is our Living Hope Sermon Series. So we are continuing on in 1 Peter. And uh, we, are, we are continuing this, this theme that Peter has been building for two chapters now on submission. Submission to government, submission to masters, and now we're talking about submission within marriage of wives submitting to husbands and husbands submitting to the Lord and to their wives. And so we're in a, we're in a really good spot this morning um, to be studying God's Word. And so we're thankful that you're all here with us this morning. And when I say the word marriage... When I say that word, what do you think about? Okay, Don't say it out loud. You might get yourself in trouble. When you think about marriage, you might think about a plethora of things. You might think positively. You might think negatively about your marriage. When you say marriage, you might think of pain. Pain from the past, arguments, separations, divorces. Um, For some of you, you might think of the vows that you said. On that day you got married, till death do us part, right? You might be thinking of other things. You might be thinking through, um, you know, maybe your, your, your parents or your grandparents or your uncles or your aunts and you watch their marriages and... You might think through a lot of things. Um, when I think of marriage, I think of uh, just this last Friday. We took my in-laws out, Danielle's parents out, for supper Friday night. And they celebrated 50 years. It was their golden anniversary. Yeah, praise Jesus for that. Yeah, you can, you can do that. And it was awesome to take a picture of them at the dinner holding a framed photo of themselves 50 years earlier. Now, that was pretty cool. And if you look at the past 50 years of their marriage, nobody would say it was perfect. Nobody would say it was easy. Nobody would say that it was uh, pristine biblical marriage. But praise God, you know, they're still together. And I think of Danielle and I. uh, We're now celebrating our 17th year, June 5th, right, which is a huge praise. But I remember our first year and year number one and year number two of marriage. And it was like a roller coaster that you didn't want to be on. Amen. We got married. We had dated for four years. Thought we knew each other. Got premarital counseling. And then you get married and then you realize it's like going click, 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 click up the up the roller coaster, you know. And then it's just like, ah, what's happening to me? And that was the first year or two of our marriage, no joke. We're arguing all the time. We're not getting along. We don't, we don't speak the same language. We don't have the same habits. We don't have the same anything. And, and uh, there were moments when we thought maybe we just made this huge mistake. Maybe this was just the biggest mistake of our lives, right? And, and we, we sought counseling. Uh, we got counseling from some older couples that we valued their wisdom, and they set us straight. In a lot of areas, praise God. And so we thank God for that. So in the midst of that, you know, we're thinking June 5th, it's our 17th wedding anniversary, praise Jesus. And on that day, June 5th, I will be, for the first time ever, I will be officiating a wedding on my anniversary. I had to get special permission, amen? I had to get special permission for that. And on June 5th, in South America, in Lima, there will be a young couple getting married 
This June 5th, on our wedding date, they'll be getting married in Lima. Praise Jesus. Yeah, it's just awesome. Like, um, but you might think, well, what's, what's God think about marriage anyway? Like, what does he really want? Because our culture is going to tell you 10,000 lies about marriage, right? What it is, what it isn't. Um, divorce is so easy these days, $28.99. You can get a divorce like that. You can get in and out of relationships so quickly in this digital world that we live in. What does God think about marriage? Well, if you grew up in church, you know that God likes marriage. You know God believes in marriage. All right. Did you know that God loves it? He created marriage. Amen? He created it. In Genesis chapter 2, God literally puts Adam and Eve together in the Garden of Eden, and he puts them together. What God joins together, let no man put asunder, right? So did you know that God puts people together, not you? Amen? All you matchmakers in the house, you're trying to help all these young couples, you know, matchmake, right? I stay away from that stuff with a 10-foot pole. Do not put me close to matchmaking. I will just make a massive mistake, right? But there's a lot of you that feel like that's your spiritual gift or whatever. And I'm just telling you, look, look, God puts people together, not you. God might use you from time to time, but it is God who puts couples together. And he imagines marriage to be a very winsome thing, a very wonderful thing, right? Marriage was in God's mind before sin entered into the world. So marriage is a very good thing, and God wants it to be winsome, okay? How many of you thought of that word when I said, what do you think of when you think of marriage? Probably very few of you. But that is exactly what God's word says. Marriage is to be a winsome, wonderful experience where your marriage together actually points people to God and points to people to how good God is and how great Jesus is, okay? That's the big idea of marriage. Now, what does Jesus think about marriage? Let's, uh, let's go there. So Jesus, he loves marriage. Did you know that? Jesus loves marriage. Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 12, the disciples are, or the Pharisees are questioning Jesus And Jesus not only defends marriage, but he says that marriage is a beautiful and wonderful and good thing. And the only reason that divorce was even allowed in the Old Testament was because of the hardness of people's hearts. Literally, Moses had to make a rule that basically managed sin. Like, basically, how do we manage this sin? Because everybody wants to get divorced. Okay, due to the hardness of the people's hearts, we will create a certificate of divorce. And Jesus even says in Matthew 19, that's not even how God meant it to be in the first place. So, therefore, Jesus inherently argued for the value and the winsomeness of marriage. So, um, so that's Jesus. Now, here's just the truth that you guys already know. Marriage is under attack in our culture, amen? Under attack. Has been for 70 years, maybe, maybe longer than that. All-out assault from our culture on marriage. The value of marriage, people coming together in Jesus to be married. Like, like the culture is just so anti that. And uh, I'll just give you some quick statistics, okay? So most statistics say today that four or five out of ten marriages will end in divorce. 
four or five out of ten. And you know when someone gets divorced, it's not just clean, right? It's messy. Divorce is messy. And it hurts. There's pain, heartbreak. There's anger, bitterness, guilt, shame. All those things are tied into this. And then if you throw the kids in, that's a whole separate conversation, right? The kids being messed up as a result or being really, really hurt by the decisions of their parents, that's a hard thing to deal with. And then if you throw in on top of that, the litigation that is often involved within divorce, all the the courts and the lawyers and the things like that, it's messy. The most common final straw for divorce for people in America today is infidelity, okay, which most of us would, would understand, domestic physical violence, which we would understand that as well, and then substance abuse. Those are the three things. Now, I would throw in number four would be money, right? Can I get a financial amen, right? For sure. So it's common in uh, most statistical analyses of, of divorce that spouses blame their partners instead of themselves for the divorce. You know that? Because we're so proud and so broken and so sinful that if we walk through something painful, the last thing we want to believe is that it's our fault, right? It's got to be the other person. It's got to be the other spouse. It's their fault. They did the thing. I was here. I'm innocent. They did the thing. If, if, uh, if we've heard that once in our counseling ministry, we've heard that 10,000 times. It's not me, pastor. It is the other person. They are in the wrong. They need to change. Well, maybe. 60% of divorces involve spouses who are between the ages of 25 and 39. Okay, so that means if you're in, the, in between the age of 25 and 39, you have the highest propensity to be attacked in your marriage where you look and say, well, the the lust part of our relationship is over and past, and now we're into the raising of kids, and now we look at each other 10 years in, 12 years in, 14 years in, and we say, do I even really like you? I'm not even sure we're friends. 60% in that age range get divorced. And certainly that's been true in our experience at Living Waters and in my experience as a pastor and as a friend. Many, many of my peers who are my age or a little younger, a little older, going through very painful steps of divorce. And it's so hard to watch because you feel the pain of it. The divorce rate, here's the final stat, the divorce rate uh, for people over 50 has doubled since 1990. Isn't that interesting? The divorce rate for people over 50 has doubled since 1990. And what do we say to all this? We say all of these things that our marriages are under attack within our own flesh, our own souls going towards sin, our culture, which really attacks marriage and and the sanctity of it. And in the midst of this, we've got a pornographic society that just is like a tidal wave, like a tsunami spending billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars for you to sin sexually, which will destroy your life and your marriage. I will say within our country, the wrath of Almighty God is on the sex industry in a way that is so devastating that those individuals who are leading that, that, that cultural, socioeconomic movement in our culture 
had better be fearful of the living God. Because they will stand before the living God for every product and every picture and every image that they put in front of people within our culture. And it's still sinners' fault to consume, right? So the wrath of God is on us in many ways. So many couples don't know. They just don't know what the Word of God has to say about marriage. That's, that's the hard reality. Uh, many couples don't know what the Word has to say. If you ask a young couple, pre-marriage counseling, do you know what you're getting into? And they're just like, oh, I'm sure we're going to be fine. We love each other. And as a counselor, I'm just like, give me a break. You don't love each other. You don't even know what you're talking about. Right? I've, be- I've grown more cynical in my, in my old age as a counselor. Because I'm just like, yeah, I don't think you know. But within a lot of marriages, that's not just young couples. That's middle-aged and and elderly couples as well. They don't really know why they're in it. Why are you in the game? Why are you in marriage? Why do you want to be married? I don't know. Okay, here's a a passage of scripture from my devotions that I read just the other day. From Amos chapter 8, verse 11. God says, I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread, nor a thirst of water, but of hearing, a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. That's my experience and my observation of our culture today is that there is a famine within our culture, within marriages, to hear the word of God. So many married couples don't know what the word of God even says about their role as husband and wife and how to make this thing work for the glory of God and to have it be winsome. Because remember, God wants it to be winsome. He wants your marriage to be winsome and and beautiful and joyful and and having an effect on other people, leading other people to Jesus. So, many couples don't know why they're married. And when they don't know the purpose of marriage, the meaning of marriage gets twisted. Does that make sense? If you don't know the purpose of marriage, then the meaning of it, back and forth, it gets twisted around. And here's what I would say about that. The Apostle Paul provides um, the purpose of marriage in Ephesians 5. 22 through 33, Paul gives us the meaning of marriage. You want to know the purpose of marriage, the meaning of marriage? Here it is. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two will hold fast to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound. That, let's just pause there. A husband and a wife, a man and a woman coming together, all right, to make covenant promises to one another till death do us part. That is a profound mystery. That is amazing. That's divine. And Paul says, but I'm saying that a husband and wife coming together refers to Christ and the church. What? There's a whole new purpose of marriage. Your marriage is actually about Christ and the church. Your marriage is about Jesus. Can I get a witness? Yeah, your marriage is about Jesus and his church. Jesus loves his church. Jesus will do anything for his church. He will die for his church on the cross. He will rise again, and he will be with his church always, even unto the end of the age. So your little marriage, your little marriage is about the big marriage. Your little marriage is about the big marriage. Your little thing is about the big thing. Your little story, your cute little story of you and your, your, your spouse getting married, it's wonderful. It's a good story. It's not the main story. 
The main story is Jesus and his church. Now, all right, let's look at this. This is uh, some notes from my counseling sessions. This is, this is the purpose of marriage counseling sessions. So when you have a counseling session with me, get ready for lots of stick figures and drawing. Amen? Don't you want to come to counseling now, right? I draw like crazy, and I'm a terrible artist, okay? But when I sit with a young couple, I, I'll sit and we'll go through this. What's the meaning of your marriage? What's the purpose of your marriage? Well, all the little M's down here, like this is all of the Christian marriages here. And, that, and all those little marriages are pointing to one big M, one big marriage. And that is Jesus and his church. It's all about Christ and the church. It's every, every single ounce of your moments of being married are for picturing or, or giving people a picture of Christ and the church. Husbands and wives, this is such a divine purpose. You are the only gospel many people will ever read. And if your marriage is cold and not plugged into Jesus, nobody's getting saved. None of your neighbors are going to get saved. None of the people around you are going to get saved because they're just like, yeah, I don't think that's right. I don't know the Bible, but it seems like that marriage is not as warm as it should be. Right? So in the midst of this, I'll say this. Marriage is about Jesus and his church. So the first exhortation for you guys this morning is marriage is not mainly about you. Can I get a witness? We hear this all the time in the counseling room. My needs, my wants, my desires, my needs, my wants, my desires. If they could just be, if they could just be better, if they could just be more, if they could just be this, that. And it's just like marriage is not mainly about you. And it's not mainly about your spouse. It's not mainly about me. It's mainly about Jesus. So, so here's what I want to encourage you with. All right, Marriages, winsome marriages are possible. That's a good news. Winsome marriages are possible, and I would add, in Jesus Christ. You can have a winsome marriage. You can have one that, that is winsome to those around you and, and brings people to Jesus Christ, brings them to faith. You can have one of those. Why? Because there's hope in Jesus in marriage. Amen. Jesus can change any marriage. He can turn any marriage around. He can lift up any marriage. He can heal any marriage. Jesus Christ can restore any marriage and salvation can be found in him. So, um, like government and bosses, Peter is continuing his argument for submission. Okay, we're supposed to submit to our governing authorities. We're supposed to submit to our masters. And now Peter is telling people that marriage is an act of submission. Within the marriage covenant and within the family, submission has to happen. And as submission happens, just like government and just like uh, masters, people will come to Christ as a result of a winsome marriage. So Peter is saying marriage is meant to point people to Jesus. We're supposed to be on the offensive with our marriage, not on the defensive. We're supposed to be out influencing people for Jesus through marriage. Not on the defensive, hoping that it all works out, ball and chain, hope I make it till I'm old, right? No, he wants you to win people. Like you're supposed to have joy in this relationship. 
But that involves the wife and the husband believing right things. Marriage cannot last if the husband and wife don't believe the right things. If you believe the wrong things, good luck. Good luck. Your personality will carry you a certain amount of years. Your physical health will carry you a certain amount of years. But then it's over. Because if you don't believe the right things, it won't last. And living those things out is also essential with joyful obedience and determination. You got to have determination to be married. Amen? Come on now. Like, you got to have determination. But it's got to be joyful obedience and determination. And so, um, there's just so many things that, you know, we need to know, right? This is the question. What do I need to know about marriage then? Okay, pastor, tell me what Peter is saying about marriage. I need to know. Tell me what I need to know. How do I, how do I get a winsome marriage? Well, let me just speak to every category of people that I can think of that are here this morning because this is a marriage sermon and there is divorce, there is separation, there's a lot of singleness, there's things that are outside of the scope. So like, pastor, talk to me. Talk to me where I'm at because I'm not, maybe I'm not married. Okay, let's just talk real quick. So the youth, if you're a youth person here, um, if you're in youth group, uh, high school, teenager, college age why should you listen to a message on marriage why even care about what pastor is saying about first peter three because if you're here and you're a youth you are looking ahead right and youth let me just speak from my heart to you we want you to look ahead and to know what to look for right amen Youth, you need to know what to look for. We don't want you to marry some knucklehead that comes along and doesn't believe in Jesus and doesn't believe that marriage is part of a bigger thing. Like, if, if you marry a knucklehead who doesn't know Christ, you're going to have a very long and painful experience, and we would rather save you pain, youth, youth kids. Amen? Okay. What about singles? What if you're single? And this could be like you've been divorced, you're single, or you're just single, single, like you've never been married. Um, I would encourage singles to look around, right? You're not looking ahead, you're just looking around because at this point you have experiences in your life, things you've learned from. Some of them are painful. And you're single right now and, and what you're going to look at with wives and husbands, I want you to pick it up and say, okay, what can I know through wives and husbands in God's word that will inform me about my past circumstances so that I might move forward in the grace of God. What can I glean right now from, if I'm a, if I'm a female, what can I glean from the husband verse? Like, like that's the kind of man that I need to look for and I need to rethink my past and what happened. But if you're single, like, and you haven't been married yet, you're looking forward to say, okay, what are the essential qualities of a spouse that I should be looking for, right? Um, if you're married here this morning, you are looking across. You're looking across into the eyes of your significant other, and you're saying this, what do I need to know from God's word about my current situation 
that I, by God's grace, might experience a miracle of his word, which would help me change my attitude and my actions so that our marriage can be restored and joyful and winsome. What can I do? Because when I look across at that person, it's not always loving. Amen? Not always. Sometimes I look across at my married spouse and I think, grr, right? So therefore, this passage shows me what can I change now? What can I do now to save my marriage before it gets unsalvageable? And then if you're here and you're divorced, and you're looking at this passage and you're like, I don't even, what, what are we doing here? I think it helps you look back if you've been divorced and helps you look ahead both ways to say, what do I need to know about healing and what do I need to know about moving forward, right? Because there's healing in the passage. So um, there's two things that we need to know, right? There's two things that we need to know about winsome marriages, winsome marriages. Number one is that wives need to know winsome submission, okay? Wives, there's your favorite word. Can I get a, a lady amen, right? Yeah, no, it's not your favorite word. But, but you see it a lot in the Bible. You see it a lot in the, these, these husband-wife passages. So wives need to know winsome submission and what that looks like. So verse 1 of chapter 3 says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. So first of all, Peter is saying likewise means likewise. We're still in the conversation about submission. Peter's telling the wives, we're still having this submission argument that I may, I'm making now for two chapters in a row. And ladies, you need to submit to your um, husbands, just like we submit to our government, just like we submit to our masters. Be subject, and that word means to the same word that it meant in chapter 2, to voluntarily put yourself underneath the authority of another person. To do it joyfully. Now, the reason you're doing that is, is found in verse 1. So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. So wives, Peter is telling you that your submission is for a purpose. You are there to woo and win that man to Jesus Christ. There is, there is a, a real purpose in your submission. You're not supposed to submit just because, well, I suppose it's just the ball and chain thing that I'm supposed to do. The Bible commands me to do it, so the Bible says it. I believe it, therefore I do it, right? God is telling you to submit so that you might woo your husband over to Christ. Because if he is someone you're supposed to submit to, he may not know Jesus, so you're going to be the only gospel that he ever reads. So therefore, to submit to your husband means to woo him to Christ in salvation. But if your husband does know Jesus and you're called to submit to him, that, like, that's also a, a massive part of, of bringing him towards Christ's likeness. So with wives, there's going to be three areas of your life that you're called to be winsomely submissive. In the area of your character, in the area of your e internal adorning, and in the area of your hope. Now, let's just deal with those one at a time. Character, all right? So the character. Um, Peter says that you should win your husbands with your respectful and pure conduct. 
Okay, respectful and pure in the Greek, it literally means clean and reverential. So it basically means having a character that is clean, a conscience that is clean. Ladies, Peter is calling you to have an inward character that is clean of sin, where you are obeying and you are submitting, not because it's easy, but because you are trying to win this man over to Jesus Christ. You're trying to see him get saved, or you are trying to see him grow in the grace of Christ. I've often said that, you know, two people saved me, right? Two people saved me. Jesus Christ saved me on July 6, 1999, and Danielle Daggett saved me. And here's what I mean. My wife has had such an influence on my life. And I, I, I could try to tell you in words, but it would fail. It would fail me. I would be so utterly lost without Danielle in my life. I would be. Over the years, she has wooed me. She has submitted to me. And trust me, I know me. I'm not worthy of submitting a lot of times. Like, I'm not worthy of submission with some of the bonehead ideas that I have. And she loves me. And she will speak truth to me. And she will say, that's a bad idea, Josh. That's really dumb. Don't do that. Don't say that. But Jesus saved me from my sins. Danielle has saved me from myself in a lot of ways. And over the years, I think that's the picture of what Peter is saying here. This this pure, reverential, and respectful character of the wife. It wins through influence, right? And so submission is meant to happen if you have a good husband or if you have a bad husband. Your character is what is being revealed. So, some of you have good husbands, some of you have crummy husbands, right? Don't you wish the Bible said you, would, you, have, you can submit to the good husband, but the crummy husband, you go ahead and tell him to take a hike, right? Don't you wish the Bible said that? Whether it's a good husband or crummy, God says submit. Now, two things, really important things. Within that, that does not mean that you have to live under physical abuse in your home that is not okay that is an exception to the rule to submit if somebody is laying their hands on you or a husband is laying a hands on the wife and saying well submit your the bible says to submit there is no place none for physical violence or abuse to be happening that is not submission that is abuse also This does not mean, Peter's call to submit does not mean that your husband can ask you to sin and you just get on board. If your husband is asking you to deny Jesus or to sin directly, you can say, no, I'm not submitting to that. So, but it's your character. Your character, ladies, is on display. Will you woo your husband to Christ or will you not? Secondly, Internal adorning. The wife needs to know that a winsome marriage comes through internal adorning. Verse 3. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit. Now, 
adorning, this word is used twice, one in verse, once in verse 3 and one in, once in verse 4. So this word literally means to arrange, harmoniously decorate. It's, it, it's, it's cosmos in the Greek. This is where we get our word for star or universe. So how, the, how God arranges the universe, puts all the stars in place at creation, that is what Peter is saying. And he's saying, look, when you ladies adorn yourself, don't let your adorning be merely external. Don't be so worried about all the external appearances of your body and your makeup and your stuff. Think about the adorning of your inward person, your soul. You want to have a great, winsome marriage? Wives, you need to focus on the inward part of your soul with Jesus, not the external adorning of your body or your makeup. Now, why is Peter bringing this up? Because since sin entered into the world, women have been obsessed with the exterior appearance of their bodies. Women are way more sensitive to how they look, what they're wearing, what their hair looks like, what their makeup looks like than guys. Can I get a witness? Amen. I mean, girls, most guys don't even know what they're wearing outside as they leave the house. And they don't care either, right? But ladies care. Now, some, so there's a lot of degrees of care in that, right? So, but some ladies care way, way more than other ladies. But it doesn't matter. Every lady does care on some levels. So therefore, there's, there's this propensity to think, what do I look like? How much do I weigh? What's my body shape like? What's my makeup look like? What's my hair look like? And Peter is saying, don't be obsessed with that. It's hard to have a winsome marriage when the wife is so obsessed with herself all the time and how she looks. Does that make sense? And I mean obsession. I mean, I'm fine with, with ladies being pretty. That's wonderful. It's good. Okay? But when you're obsessed all the time that you're not, you're denying everything else in your marriage because you're so obsessed with your body image and your stuff and your fashion and your thing. Peter is saying, watch out for that. Fight against that. And a winsome marriage has women who are focused more on Jesus and what he is doing inside of me. So there's some things I just don't get about women, especially with social media. Social media is so confusing. I feel like ladies are more obsessed than ever about external appearances. And here's what I mean. You know what I mean? Like, as a guy, it's hard to understand um, what ladies are thinking. Like the lip purse, like this. You know this? <laughs> you know this picture, right? On social media, you know this. It's just like... And I'm like, what? What is that? What is that? I don't get it. I don't understand it, right? And all you ladies are like, well, pastor, let me tell you after service, okay? <laughs> I but there's the, the, the lip thing and the makeup stuff and the leg thing. You got to have your leg in the right spot, you know, for a picture. And I just don't get it. And I think Peter is saying, wives, if you're going to have a marriage that's winsome, like just Look inside and let Jesus change you from the inside with a peaceable spirit that is at rest. That is attractive to your husband or to the man in your life. Inward character, being kind, being at rest, being at peace. 
That's what Peter wants, a gentle and quiet spirit. In God's sight, that is very precious. So, this might be a word to the ladies just to feel free. Jesus loves you no matter how you look. Praise God. And your husband should love you no matter how you look. He should care about you no matter what, you know, your idiosyncrasies are with your appearance. So, character, internal adorning, and then hope. For this is how holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. So this is how women used to do it. This is how they used to hope in God. Peter brings up Sarah as an example, saying, ladies, I want you to be encouraged by Sarah. Look at Sarah's example in the Old Testament, Genesis 18 through 28. Just read the whole, the whole thing and just be encouraged by this woman. You want to talk about a strong woman? Sarah is a strong woman in the scriptures, yet she submitted to Abraham. And Peter is saying in the midst of this, here is an example that you can follow. If you feel like you're ready to crumble and give up on your marriage, look at Sarah. Don't give up. And what he's saying is that you have to have hope as a wife. You have to have hope for the future. You got to be able to look forward to your future and say, there is real hope because if Sarah can make it, I can make it, right? And if there are other women who have made it for 10,000 years since, since Sarah was alive, I can do it too. Some of you need to get some missionary biographies or some Christian history biographies of great women and read them to see that you're not alone. You're not the only woman who's gone through this. There's so many godly women who have finished their race and are now with Jesus who would encourage you to say, you can do this. Have hope. So, Winsome submission comes through character, internal adorning, and hope. So ladies, I would encourage you this morning to be winsome in your submission to your husband. Not for the sake of your husband, for, for the sake of Jesus Christ. So that Jesus can be known to everybody that watches your life. Okay? Now, what about the guys? Let's get to the guys, shall we? Okay? Husbands, yep, husbands, two things to know to have a winsome marriage. Husbands need to know, wait a minute, I just Jesus juked you a bit, right? Husbands need to know winsome submission. Say it with me, guys, submission. Amen. Now, what do you mean? Verse 7, likewise, 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 husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. The word likewise indicates that we're still talking about the submission discussion from chapter 2 and now into chapter 3 and the wife has to submit. And now all of a sudden, Peter is, is totally challenging the guys and he's saying, likewise, you need to submit. Guys, you need to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ to your wives. Now, you're not going to get very many sermons that tell the men to submit, but you're going to get it this morning. Amen. Likewise means we're still in this submission argument, and the husbands are to make their marriages winsome by submitting themselves to Jesus Christ, to Peter and his words here, and also to their wives in relationship with one another. 
So there are things that the man has to submit to. And, and if they don't submit to these things, the marriage will be a train wreck and it won't move forward. So this involves three things in the husband's wife. Sensitivity, chivalry, and friendship. So if you're a guy and you need to be winsomely submitting to Christ and your wife, you need to have sensitivity, you need to have chivalry, and you need to have friendship. So let's just break that down one by one. Sensitivity. Likewise, men, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. The word understanding way, or the phrase, it means to be sensitive and considerate to the wife's deepest physical and emotional needs. Guys, did you hear that? Y'all need to be sensitive. What do guys struggle with the most in their marriage? Being aware and sensitive of the wife in their life. Um, Guys get so distracted by tasks that they're working on a house, they're fixing a shed, they're watching a soccer game, they're watching a baseball game, and, and literally the wife is like telling them, hey, I need help here, here, and here. Our kid is snotty-nosed and needs a diaper change, and, and I'm trying to cook and clean and do all this stuff too, and the dude is sitting on the couch being like, what? What's the problem? Wait, what'd you say? What'd you say? Oh, oh, our baby's about ready to die. Can you take care of that real quick? (laughs) If you're going to have a winsome marriage, you need to have a husband who is sensitive to the mental, physical, and emotional and spiritual needs of his wife. So in the word of God and in prayer, start there. Guys, you need to be in the Bible. How about that, number one? You need to be reading the Bible. You don't need to do a couple's devotional necessarily, but you at least need to be reading the scriptures and talking to your wife about the scriptures. How about prayer? Do you pray with your wives? Husbands, if you're going to be a sensitive husband and your marriage is going to be winsome, start praying at night before you go to bed with your wife. It is a good thing. Um, what about coffee? Coffee dates. How about a date? How about a date night? How about, um, I, I, I'd hate to have walk on the beach, but we have no beaches in Iowa. So, yeah, yeah, we have a lot of walking paths in Des Moines, right? You can go find a walking path and walk with your wife next to some water. It'll be very good for your soul to hear from her. Avoid the goose poop, right? Amen. But, but like, like spend time with her, okay? When you get home from a busy day, you've worked really hard. We get it. We all understand. Ask about her day and how it went. And zip your lip and listen. See what happens. Magical things can happen, right? Um, Ask her how you can help. Ask her how you can serve her. Is there anything you need right now? Ask her, hey, can I 
do something for you, I guarantee you she will be like, who are you and what'd you do with my husband? Because you could go and just say, yeah, if you could just empty the dishwasher, that would mean a lot to me. Thank you. If you could go hold the kid, if you could go do this, if you could take the car and service it at the, at the oil service station, that would be great. Guys, be sensitive. Don't be calloused and unaware. Be sensitive to your bride. Submit to those realities. Sensitivity. Second, chivalry. Chivalry. Um, showing honor to your wife as the weaker vessel. So the command from Peter is to show honor. Okay, the word honor means to lift high, to respect her, to, um, to, to lift her up, her opinions, her personhood, her soul. All right, this is the same word that believers were given as a command in chapter 2 of honoring the em- emperor. Lift up the emperor. Lift up your governor, the president. Treat your wife as if she were the emperor. Treat your wife as if she were the president of the United States. How would you treat them? Treat your wife better than that. All right, you treat her as a queen. Husbands, you have a queen in your house, amen? You better take care of her. Chivalry should not be dead. Chivalry should be very much alive in this country. Honor her as the weaker vessel. Now, this is a phrase that gets people really upset when they read through the Bible really quick. Weaker vessel. Women, women get really fired up about this phrase. What does he mean by weaker vessel? I'll take Peter on right now. Come on, Peter. I'll take you on right now. Weaker vessel. I'll show you weaker, right? Okay, here's what Peter does not mean. All right, let me go through what he does not mean first. He does not mean that women are weaker in character or in intellect or in spiritual capacity or any of those things, all right? Like Peter is not talking about the value of the soul and the mind of the woman. Peter is saying, generally speaking, very generally speaking, women generally possess less physical strength than men. This is totally a reference to physicality. Now, I say that, and I even have to take a little rabbit trail because I know some of you women can take your husbands. Like, I know that that could happen. We have some buff ladies in our church that I think could, like, totally take their husband if they wanted to, right? Or at least their pastor. But, you know. (laughs) But I say all that to say, generally speaking, generally, women are not as physically strong as the husband or the man. And in the midst of that, Peter is saying right? You should be a humble and determined provider and protector of your home. You should be a provider and a protector for your wife. Now, I don't know about you, but I would die for my sweetheart. I would, in a moment. You start messing with Danielle, we got problems, right? I I would be so fired up and be willing to die in a heartbeat because I feel like that is part of the chivalry call of being a godly man. And in the midst of this, if you're going to have a winsome marriage, you gotta, you got to have chivalry in your relationship. You have to have the ability, guys, to step up and get the door. Just get the door. All we're talking about is the door. Just get the door in the car or the building for the wife. Just do it once, please. Chivalry. Be a protector. Thirdly, friendship. Men should be winsomely submissive and have winsome marriages through friendship. And it says this, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, 
so that your prayers may not be hindered. Peter says that husbands and wives are fellow heirs together of the grace of life. Now, what does that mean? It's not eternal life. It's not heaven. It's this life here and now. That's really important to understand. Because men and women are heirs together of the grace of life. You only get one time through this life. Did you guys know that? This only happens one time. And you as a husband and wife, you are fellow heirs together. You're journeying on this path of life together. You're heirs together in the grace that is in life, which intimates that that Peter is telling us to be friends with one another. Spouses are to be best friends with one another. Now, friendship takes time. Takes time. So husband and wife's, Like, don't freak out if you're not best friends week two of your marriage. Don't freak out. It's okay. If you're at each other's throats for the first two or three years, don't worry. Eventually, if you're being biblical about your relationship, you're going to be friends. And you should be friends because you share life together, life path together. So therefore, husbands, you need to cultivate your wife as a friend. I'll never forget early on in in our in our church plant we had led several people to jesus and i was really excited and i was sharing it with our associate pastor greg so excited hey this person came to jesus this person got saved so exciting yay 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 i get home my wife's sitting up it's late it's 10 o'clock at night she said hey how was how was your time out there with uh with greg and and leading you know people through bible studies and i said oh it was okay That was it. And she's like, really? I said, well, you know, a couple people got saved. No big deal. (laughs) I'd just been doing the tap dance with a guy, right, about how excited I was that people had gotten saved and come to Christ. And Danielle, I'll never forget this. She said, you know, I wish you were friends like me, friends with me like you are with Greg. Dude, that was a mic drop bomb in our marriage because I realized that if Danielle's not my first conversation, my first go-to, my first friend that I share with, I got nothing as a married man. Nothing. And that began a huge transition of repentance in my life to become friends with my bride, where we share everything together. Now, we're, we're such good friends now, we can't wait to go on long trips in minivans. Amen. So fun. <laughs> Because we get to travel in a minivan and you know what we do? We just talk and we talk and we talk and it's our time up front. Like we'll we'll switch all the the radio audio to the rear speakers, crank it up so we don't hear them and they don't hear us and we just talk together. Praise Jesus. But husbands, you need to cultivate your wife as your friend. So, as we close, all right, we're looking at marriage Here's the question. What do I need to know then about marriage so it can be winsome? What do I need to know? Well, you need to be winsomely submissive to Jesus and to one another. By the grace of God, you'll build a marriage that will last. Now, if you're here and you're not married, there's hope, right? There's hope in Jesus. Oh, man. These are the character qualities you need to be looking for for whoever God might be bringing into your future by God's grace, 
There's restoration, there's joy, there's things that can happen. So, winsome marriages are possible through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your amazing love and mercy. Thank you for your grace in marriage. Lord, if we're honest with ourselves, we are so messed up. Our hearts run toward divorce. Our hearts run towards selfishness. Our hearts run towards dysfunction. Our hearts, are, we run towards just me-centered living. And yet, God, you created marriage to be winsome and amazing. So, God, forgive us for twisting what you have created to be so beautiful. Forgive us for twisting it towards our own desires. And so, God, as you work in our hearts, Lord, would you help wives winsomely submit to their husbands? And God, would you also allow husbands to winsomely submit to Jesus as their leader and and to their wives? In marriage, may there be mutual submission so that the whole world can see that Jesus Christ is real. So Lord, there's probably some marriages that need some confession right now. So we just pray over those marriages, God, that you would allow confession of sin to happen restoration, repentance. Lord, there's some people who are divorced or single that are just heartbroken or hurt or angry. God, would you just minister to those needs as well and give them future hope in Jesus Christ? And Lord, there's some youth here too that are thinking about getting married someday. Would you please prepare them for the amazing covenant decision that it is to be married? God, And will you just lead us, Jesus, to yourself? You have died for us as the church. You've risen for us. You love the church. You're never going to divorce the church. You're always going to be there for the church. So God, we as your bride, we submit to you this morning. And Lord, would you even save somebody who doesn't know Jesus yet? And we pray in Jesus' name.